So, I uh, really appreciate Ed coming and sharing uh, <clears throat> what God's been doing in his life. Uh, I thank you all for, for sticking around and joining us for, for worship today. I praise God for that. <clears throat> As we begin, I have a couple of uh, announcements that I'd like to just to tell you about. First one is we're having these uh, boxes of hope that we're delivering to people who are under quarantine. So if you know someone who's uh, been directed by their doctor to stay in, to, to separate themselves from, from the rest of society for 14 days, then I would ask that you would uh, let us know who that is. We, we'll be discreet, but we want to, we'd ask that you would let us know who, the, who those folks are. Uh, we promise to be discreet and not to disclose any information, but, but we just want to follow up with folks just to show them the love of Christ. So uh, we'd like to deliver a box of supplies to their home. So if you know of someone who's under quarantine, please share that uh, with me directly so I can uh, make that happen. So if you're, if uh, one of our churches is your church home, I would ask you to please be mindful of, of continuing to support the ministries of our church that, that, that you've been changed by the ministry here in this community and, and we want to continue that for others. So uh, there are four ways that you can give. You can always drop a, a, your donation off here at the charge office Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, you can mail it in. Uh, you can you can set it up on your bank's bill pay uh, through their online. Uh, most banks have that available that you can you can go online, log into your account, and you can set up a, a bill pay so you can pay your tithe that way. Or you can do it right on our website. At the top of this page, uh, there's a tab that says Give, uh, and you can do it through our uh, PayPal account. So uh, really hope that you take advantage of that opportunity. At any time in the service today, uh, if you'd like someone to pray with you, then just click that tab down on the bottom that says uh, a prayer request. And, and a team of folks will be very happy to rally around you and, and pray with you. So uh, thank you in advance for that, for those of you who need that. So I ask you if you would, if you haven't by now, uh, to go ahead and get logged in uh, to the chat on here on the right. And uh, so you can take part in the conversation that we're about to have. Excuse me. <clears throat> Got to get some water. Several years ago, when I worked in our family's business, uh, I was trained as a gemologist. We were jewelers, and uh, one of my responsibilities were to identify, grade, and sort uh, gemstones. And as I did that, I always I knew that I had to be able to see stones from different perspectives as I graded them. And, and when you do that with gems, you, you look through different facets of the stone. You turn the stone and, and see it from a different perspective. And, and each facet that you look through it gives you a different view on the inside of the stone, just like the windows in your house. If you look in different windows in your home, you get a different perspective. I've known the Easter story as long as I can remember, and probably many of you have as well. Today, we're going to come into the Easter story from a different perspective, right? A different facet we're going to look at. If you're watching this today, you know, you didn't have to decide whether or not you were going to go to church this Easter. It was decided for us. We couldn't go. Maybe some of you who are watching this today are more concerned about your, your rent payment than, than whether or not you're going to church or your mortgage payment. You know, maybe it's, it's having to teach those daggone kids one more day while you have all your work that you have to get done as well. Or maybe it's getting another week, have to, having to go another week without seeing your grandkids. Or, or maybe another month without seeing anyone because you're isolated. Everything has changed for us 
in the blink of an eye. And, and frankly, we don't know how we're going to get back to doing things normal again, or if normal will ever be again. For others, this holiday season uh, normally is wrapped up with a lot of traditions. You know, we, we, we get dressed up to go to church. We, uh, we gather the family. We take a picture, or, or after church we go to someone's house to eat, or we, we have someone who's hiding eggs, or we're going to search for eggs that the Easter Bunny left behind, right? All these traditions that up until just a little while ago, they were normal. We expected them, just like my egg plucking contest uh, that my family's done every year since my kids have been alive, uh, except for this year. And you know, if we're going to be honest, we, we miss it. We miss those traditions, those things that we've gotten used to. And that's making us almost kind of dread th today, almost. I'd ask you to share online uh, there amongst yourselves, what is it that you miss most right now in your life? Like, what's, what's normally there that, that you're not able to enjoy today? Take a moment and just share that with each other. And we're studying John chapter 20 today. If you have your Bible, you can, you can jump ahead and then open that up uh, as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus today. John chapter 20, verse, verses 1 through 10 is where we begin. That sense of dread, that sense of, oh my goodness, no, that, that sense of mourning is exactly where the Easter story began. You see? For the disciples, their rabbi, their friend, had been killed. And the very man who sentenced him to die didn't even think he was guilty. Like, everybody knew he wasn't guilty. And yet, he did. He died anyway. And that Sunday morning, the resurrection was, that was the farthest thing from their minds. They didn't expect a resurrection. They didn't know what was going to happen Tomorrow, but today, what they did know, what they did know about Jesus, they knew several things. One of them was that was that Jesus was had been alive. He had walked with them. He had talked, laughed. He cried. He, they did everything that good friends would do together. They knew that Jesus loved them. He had washed their feet. He had prayed for them. He prayed over them. He hugged them. They would experienced his love. They knew that Jesus taught them. That Jesus taught them how to, how to love God and how to follow God. That everything Jesus did, he had showed them what it meant to be near to, Je near to the, his Father in heaven. As a matter of fact, that's what the way the gospel writer John, that's the way he started it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That's what Jesus came to show us. And that's actually what got him put on the cross, was him proclaiming to be God. Jesus performed miracles. They knew that. They'd seen those. And Jesus announced that, that those miracles that he performed were actually proofs that he was God. He said it himself in, in John chapter 10. He said, do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. He goes on, but if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. See, Jesus did the things to prove who he was. And at the Last Supper, they remembered that Jesus talked about dying and coming to life. They knew that Jesus had been beaten, that he had been crucified, that he died, and that he was buried. That left them asking, how could Jesus be God and allow all this to happen? 
mean, they weren't imagining things. They had seen it firsthand. They knew. For two days, they'd been wrestling with it. All throughout the Passover, it was a holiday that was supposed to be a joyous occasion. For them, it was terrible. What emotions do you think they were wrestling with over these last two days? Go ahead and share that, if you would. Well, the first person to show up on the scene in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, and of chapter 20, verse 1, is Mary Magdalene. Uh, the scripture records it this way. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, you may not remember who Mary is, but in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew tell us that that Mary was the woman who had seven demons removed from her, that Jesus performed an exorcism, had said seven spirits removed, tormenting her, that Jesus removed from her. And since that moment, she had become a follower of Jesus. She was a mess, a hot mess, we might call her, but she loved Jesus because he had saved her life. He had turned her life around. He'd given her hope. And now the only one who believed in her, the one who had showed her compassion, the one who had given her hope, was dead. So what did she do? At her first opportunity, she went to pay her respects. She went to the tomb. And what did she expect to see there? What do you think? She expected to see a dead friend. She expected to see a tomb. But when she got there, that's not what she found. She found that he wasn't there. She found the tomb open and overcome, not knowing what to do. She goes to tell the other disciples. They race back. In fact, John even brags about outrunning Peter to get back to the tomb. But not really believing Mary, they, they run and they look in. And lo and behold, Mary was telling the truth after all. He's gone. He's gone. And what do they do? I mean, what do you do now? What do you do now? Their, their response is, let's go back to our brothers and let's figure this out. Mary's response is different. Where else is she going to go? I remember when my grandfather passed away. He was the first person in my family to die, in my life anyway. <clears throat> I remember sitting at the cemetery after his funeral and just thinking, so what do we do now? Like, what is life like? I remember that distinctly, even talking to my father about it. Knowing, recognizing that my life would never be the same. I bet that's what Mary is feeling right now. A real and a powerful grief. And that's what we find in, in verse 11 through 18, where she's standing there crying, crying, grieving. Because not only did he die, but now, he's, now she doesn't even know where he is, that she can see him, touch him. Make sure he's buried the way he's supposed to be buried. You know, all those things to care for him. And in that, Jesus spoke to her. Who are you looking for? She didn't recognize the voice at first until he spoke her name. It was a voice so familiar. It was a voice so familiar that she could hear it over a crowd when it spoke her name. The voice of someone you know, someone you love. You know that voice. It's the voice of a mom that calms a fussing baby. It's the voice of a, a loving dad who, who encourages 
you when you scuffed your knees while you're trying to ride a two-wheeler for the first time. It's a voice of a close friend or a spouse who encourages you when, when you don't think you can make it through another month. It's that voice. That voice that cuts through everything else that's going on in your life. She hears that voice and immediately her grief leaves her. She's brought right out of it. She's encouraged when she sees Jesus and she goes and tells the other disciples. Her grief, you see, turns to hope. I've seen the Lord, she says. I've seen him. I mean, her grief has turned to joy. She has to share what is going on in her life. She had to tell the disciples this news. The disciples, apparently, they react in the familiar way to us, right? When, when we're overcome with a thought or with a, an emotion, when, we've got, when our hearts are in turmoil and someone comes and shares news with us, you know, we often say, yeah, 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 okay, okay. I hear you, but we don't. You've been there, right? I hear you, but we don't. They were caught up in their own fears, you see. They were caught up in their fears. You see, the disciples, they had heard Jesus' teaching. Jesus had told them that he was going to die, and that one day, they would die as well. But, but right now, they were overwhelmed. They, were over, they had seen it. They, but they couldn't get past what they had seen. The brutality, the cruelty, the shame. The injustice of it all. It didn't make sense now that his body would be gone. I mean, what's... Why take his body? You've taken everything else. Why take his body? And, and if you were going to take his body, then why leave the cloth behind, the, the, the grave clothes behind? Why? See, there was so much unknown here. There was so much unknown. They didn't know what to do. And so, so fear had them locked in. Jesus had, Jesus had told them that, that you're, you're going to follow me one day, right? That they're going to come after you one day. And so that's what they're, they're locked in, thinking that, okay, they killed Jesus, and now they're going to come for us. Now they're going to come for us. Then none of this makes sense. Just when their fears were, getting, were running away with them, just in that moment, Jesus shows up. Three days after he died, he just shows up, and he says, peace be with you. Peace, are you kidding me? Let's celebrate. Jesus, you're alive. We thought you were dead. Jesus, I mean, it's time for a party, right? We're not, we're not, we're not peace. Who wants to be peaceful at a time like this, right? What would have been your response to Jesus? Just share that for a minute in your, in your, in your chat room over there. Just share what your response to Jesus would have been. I mean, he says, again, I, I give you peace because Jesus wasn't, didn't have time for a party. You see, he's giving them peace, not because of they were afraid, but because they were going to fear what he was giving them. He says, he says there, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out where you don't want to go to teach out there those people that you don't want to teach, that you, those people that you're afraid of, that you don't want to spend, you don't want to get close to. I'm sending you out there. All the disciples were there except for one, apparently Thomas. And it is interesting about Thomas. I don't know if you remember him or not, but in chapter 11, uh, when Jesus got the news that Lazarus, his friend, had died, 
he was going to go back to Jerusalem. And the disciples were like, no, 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 no. But Thomas stepped up and said, well, in verse 16 of chapter 11, he says, you know, well, let us go that we may die with him. He says, you know, we, we might as well go and die with him. Back then, Thomas was, was okay with, with death. He was, he was all right with it, as long as he was with Jesus. But now, death was real. He'd seen it, and Jesus had been the, the receiver of it. And now, Thomas gets back to the disciples, and they tell him, you know, Mary came, and she told us, and, and Jesus was here, and he's alive, and, and he's sending us back to teach. And Thomas's response was fear, probably just like the disciples, but the other disciples, but certainly skeptical. I mean, he was like, I've got to see this for myself if I'm going out there to risk my life preaching where people are trying to kill us. I'm, I'm not going unless I know for sure. You ever thought that? Have you ever said that? I'm not, I'm not doing that unless I can be sure. These days have told us there's nothing we can be sure of. There's nothing we can be sure of. And even though we avoid things that we fear, we know we can't, we can't hide from him. That's what Jesus is telling them, his disciples here. We all want proof before we take risks. I mean, that's normal. Jesus knew that about Thomas. He knew that about the other disciples, and he knows that about you and I. And yet, Jesus says, go. Go in spite of your doubt, in spite of your fear, because your doubts about, about me, he says, are lies that just your fear is telling you. Jesus is telling his disciples that, that, that don't doubt, don't fear, because that's not true. This wasn't a mind over matter thing like like if you're afraid of heights, you just climb a ladder and stand on it for a few minutes until you get comfortable and confident. No. The, the disciples had a reason to fear. They were marked men. I mean, Jesus had warned them that. And in, in fact, in a matter of time, a matter of weeks and months and years, they would all be tried for their preaching the name of Jesus. Many of them would be crucified just like Jesus. But Jesus says, go and teach people the truth about sin and forgiveness. And you know what they did? They went. They went. Because seeing Jesus, they became courageous people. Go and do not fear being punished for doing what I command you because I have conquered death. As a, and as my follower, he promised in, in John 14 that, that you too are going to conquer death. Seeing Jesus changed everything for them. Up to this point, every time a person died, that person stayed dead. Every time. But now it was different. Because Jesus had changed things. Sin and death were no longer the end of the story. So they lived with boldness. Preaching the good news until their life on earth came to an end. And they knew that they, then they would go on to live the rest of eternity with their Lord. They'd been changed. Several years ago, I was able to coach uh, football. I've coached for many years, but a few years ago, we lived in Florida, and I was able to coach down there. And, and uh, during the springtime, they have a girls' flag football. I was the offensive coordinator, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, one player on the team made it a lot of fun, actually. Uh, there were a lot of girls that I really had fun with, but, but one I remember distinctly because on offense, she was like a deer on roller skates. 
trying to catch butterflies. You know, I mean, she was just all over the place. She could, she was, she was a mess. But you, on defense, she could cover the field, and she just had instincts of where to be and when to be there, and and timing and everything else. She was fantastic. And her name was Diamond. In one of our playoff games, uh, our offense was a mess, and she was an emotionally a wreck. Uh, the team was starting to argue with each other and everything else, and it got to be too much for her, and she took herself out of the game. She went and sat on the bench. A lot of the other girls came to me and said, you need to say something to, to her. She's, uh, and, you know, Get her back in the game. We need her. And I, as a dad of a daughter myself, I knew the best thing for me to do was to stay out of it. And so I did. I didn't engage her at all until halftime. Then at halftime, I took her aside and I said, Diamond, you don't really understand how good of an athlete you really are. I said, and, and beyond that, being, beyond being a great athlete, you don't understand what kind of influence you have on other people because they look at you and they, they, they get their strength from you. I, let her, I tried to explain to her how special her team being in the playoffs, how special that was. They'd never been there before. I reminded her of the fact that if, if she kept herself out of the game, she, I, don't, I didn't think she would ever forget it, that she would always regret not being on the field with her team, that this opportunity of being in the playoffs like this, she may never have that opportunity again. It was up to her. But that if I were her, I would want to end the season, win or lose, on the field with my friends. She came back into the game that day, and we did win that game. We, we lost the next one, unfortunately. But um, our season ended, but she played great. She played great. She, she began to see her role in the team, her life, actually, from a different perspective. For Diamond, you see, it took seeing her role as part of something bigger than herself. And then when she saw herself that way, she came back, she contributed, she led in amazing ways. For Mary, for the disciples, Jesus changed the way they saw their part in the world. They were able to accept their role in it because Jesus was alive. They trusted that no matter what happened in the world, Jesus had conquered death. That they could count on. Jesus changed them, you see. This, seeing this, knowing this, changed them. It proved that all that he had done and all that he had said over the years that he'd been with him, but not only that, but it, it proved everything that the prophets had promised for, through centuries in their teaching. Many people, you see, believe Christianity is a, is a, a set of principles that we live by, a, a beliefs that we ascribe to or values that we take on, you know, like love your neighbor, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, be generous, love one another, forgive one another. Christianity is, isn't a set of beliefs. It's not a bag of values. Christianity, you see, is a relationship with a person, Jesus. A person who claimed to be God, something that is out of this world that no one else ever claims to do. A person who lived a sinless life, by all accounts, was not guilty, who died in my place, who rose on the third day, who promises to give me a new life when I surrender this one to him. So here we have a woman with a history, a group of cowards, a skeptic, seeing the resurrection right in front of them, 
changed their lives. Changed them all. Their stories are recorded in history. These were real people with real lives that really changed. So we see in the, John concludes this, this section in verse 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. They'd experienced all of this, and it changed them. And John wanted you to know it, wanted me to know it, wanted, wanted us to know it. The resurrection proved everything that he had taught them. And John, a firsthand witness, wrote it all down, preserved it all, because he was one whose life had been changed too. And a small group of disciples, at one time afraid for their lives, became bold, and began a movement that, that still changes lives. It changed the world. They believed it so that they recorded the whole thing and they preserved it. And it's been taught for 2,000 years. Why? Because followers of Jesus have experienced the truth of it. You may say, so did they see Jesus too? No. This Easter, we won't get to see the risen Jesus unless it's the end of days when he says he will come again. But until then, he promises to give us another proof, even more real than seeing. It's something that we can experience, something that we can know, a spiritual truth. Today, when we surrender to Jesus, we get proof of his spirit to come and live in us, proving what he said, what he did, and what he's doing is real. It's not a story in a children's book. It's real life, and he's doing it right now, just like my friend Ed. Is doing it right in front of us. That, yeah, Ed's not finished yet. That God is still at work in his life. But, but you ask anyone who knows him, and he's a different man because he met Jesus. Doctors tell us that the world we knew before, several months ago, may not ever come back. The way we interacted with each other, the things we did, the places we would go, we may not ever get back to that. But as a disciple of Jesus, we don't need to fear. We have nothing to fear because the world we knew changed the moment we experienced the risen Jesus. The moment. Jesus is alive, you see, and that changes everything. For people who have given their lives to Christ, who've asked God for forgiveness, who've turned from their sin who with the help of the Holy Spirit are committing themselves to developing the character of Christ within them. The Easter is a call to live boldly. It's a reminder to live on purpose. A reminder that, that he is alive and because he lives, we shall have nothing to fear. If that doesn't describe you, if that doesn't describe you today, if you're still, you still find yourself in fear, if you still if you want hope in the face of fear, then, then I want to pray, ask you to pray for yourself. Ask, you pray a prayer of surrender to Jesus, offering your life to him, asking him to give you the confidence that you need, that you want the confidence of a disciple of Jesus, one who, who has seen the risen Lord, one who has the, whole, the spirit of God alive in them, that's, that has that internal confirmation that God has them on a track. If that's you, if you want to, if you want to pray that today, I want to pray for you right now. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for how you've 
offer us salvation, God, how you conquered death on the, in a grave and you, you defeated sin on a cross, all for us because you love us so. And Lord, because of your love for me, even in spite of my sin, even in spite of the things that I do, you love me anyway. You gave yourself for that. You took my sin on the cross. I give it to you, Lord. I give you my whole life. And I ask you, Lord, I ask you to use me in this world for your kingdom. Give me a purpose. Give me hope. Of a, give me the hope of a disciple. Give me the hope of Mary or Thomas, one who would live their life for you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for Easter. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer or something similar to it here in this moment, I ask you if you would click on that button below that says, Yes, I've decided to follow Jesus today. Uh, I'd like to follow up with you just to give you some words of encouragement and some resources just to help you along your walk with Jesus because uh, the, the, the life of a Christian is not an easy life, uh, but it is well worth it. Uh, it's one where we know uh, that our, etern our future is secure. We can live in bold and confident life. So uh, if, you want, if you have responded that way, then I just want to help you out in that. All right? I ask you, if you would, to join me in our benediction as we gather together and we send each other out into the world where we're already scattered, if you join me. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe God needs me there. Wherever I am, I trust that God has put me there, that he has a purpose for me being there. Christ, alive in me, wants to do something through me no matter where I am. I believe that, and I go in his grace, in his love, and his power. Amen. God bless you all. I pray you have a fantastic Easter, and today is the beginning of of a new life for you, a life of boldness and confidence, knowing that Jesus is alive and so I have no reason to fear. All right? God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. Stay healthy. Love you.